Okay, well, good morning. It's good to be back. We had a a great time at the Father-Son Retreat last week. I heard you saw the picture up there of the uh, bows and arrows that we made and shot at each other as we played Civil War, kind of shooting at each other and kind of stepping forward. And uh, Brian claimed I cheated as the arrow was heading right for me, and I just scooped aside and it went. I felt justified, though, when he flinched as well on the next the next go. We had a, a wonderful time, and uh, it's good to be back. We're going to get back into into God's Word this morning, and after my message, we're going to celebrate the the Lord's Supper this morning. Well, we are in Proverbs, and as most all of you know, we have been starting in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. We have just been plowing through the, the book of Proverbs and going uh, verse by verse and section by section and chapter by chapter. And four weeks ago, we were in chapter 5. Uh, chapter 5, which warns about the perils of adultery, which our text does also this morning. It tells us, chapter 5 of Proverbs does, to avoid sexual sin at, at all cost, and how we ought to delight in our wives or in our spouses if you're a, a woman married to a man. <clears throat> and in that message, one of the things I said was uh, just how many Christian leaders have fallen to adultery. And uh, especially even how that's a continual thing. I said there are scores of Christian leaders, and I'm quoting from a message four weeks ago. Who, there are scores of Christian leaders who have fallen to adultery. Every year, there's a new crop of fallen leaders. All you need to do is keep your ears open, and you hear the next scandal. Well, I, I misspoke. Because rather than saying every year there's a new crop of fallen Christian leaders, I should have said every month there's a new crop of fallen Christian leaders. Because this past week I heard of two Christian leaders who fell because of their sexual sin as it was exposed. I I didn't really go looking for it. It's not like, oh, I got to talk about adultery today. I'm going to look for this. They just, they came to me. Um, two of them, one of, I mean, you may have heard of these. The first was a Christian comedian, tours all over the country, super popular, going to have a series on Netflix um, coming out, but all that's been put on hold because five different women have come forward leaving, uh, accusing him of sexual misconduct. And um, most of them just have his inappropriate actions, pushing himself on these women, inappropriate touches, inappropriate texts, inappropriate offers. And this man's public life is put on hold until more details come out and who knows what happened after that. Uh, a second Christian leader I heard of was a, a pastor of a large church in Minneapolis. In fact, his church one of the, the fastest growing churches in America. Um, some 3,000 people attend weekend services. Um, they've got several campuses. Um, this week his sin was exposed some 17 years ago when he was a youth pastor He had several girls in his youth group. As soon as they got to age 18, he pursued them. One he spent a weekend with in Las Vegas, spending their time with beer and gambling and sex. Now, I'm not sure how these stories will work itself out, but for this pastor, it really hit home for me because he was one of my professors in my doctoral, doctor of ministry uh, studies at Southern Seminary. Um, He was my best professor. He was uh, pastoring this large church in Minneapolis, and every year he'd come and he'd spend a week on campus teaching out of the overflow of what he was experiencing in his church. And, and uh, the best thing about it was that he was a pastor right in the midst of it. 
and uh, teaching leadership, involved in leadership, and so everything he was teaching about leadership, he was, he was practicing. Um, one week in Louisville, he preached at chapel. The best message I've ever heard, chapel down there. I was about four chapels. I took four weeks. I was there over a span of two years. And by far, his message was the strongest of all the messages I heard. The, the chapel, I've watched him online. I've listened to him. Fabulous preacher, fabulous leader. And yet, his sin is caught up with him. Um, exactly like the Proverbs predict. Exactly like our text in Proverbs chapter 6 predicts. So, if you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs 6. It's right where we're coming, right in the, the scope of, of our exposition of Proverbs. It's not like this morning I said, I want to preach about adultery today. Um, in fact, that's not a, any topic that's really pleasant to talk about. And yet, as it comes in Proverbs, we're addressing it hopefully head on and hopefully to, to give us a right perspective of that and to give us hope in Christ now, if you didn't bring a Bible, oh, uh, take a Bible from the chair in front of you. Page 531 is where we are. It speaks of the destruction that adultery will bring upon you. That's why my message this morning is entitled, Avoid Infidelity. Avoid infidelity. Avoid adultery. Avoid sexual sin. This really addresses all types of sexual sin. Verse 20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman and from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelids, with her eyelashes, rather. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So it is who he goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his grace will be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. The text begins like like many do. The first nine chapters of, of Proverbs we see Solomon pleading to his son that he would listen and take heed to his counsel and advice. This is how chapter 5 began. You just turn back there. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Right? Listen to me. Listen to me. Hero sons, chapter 4, verse 1. A father's instruction, be attentive that you may gain insight. It starts the same way in chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. It's how other sections just always start. My son, listen to me. Be attentive to what I'm saying. It's really how our, our section begins. It begins with a call to listen to your parents. Because, here's my first point this morning, if you're taking notes, obedience will protect you. Obedience to God will protect you. Verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. 
When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. The, the exhortation here is always the same, right? Pay attention to what, to what your parents are saying. Pay attention to what God is saying. It's going to adorn you around the neck. It's going to guide you. It's going to be the light to guide your way. It's going to help you and keep you. And, and yet at some point, all, right, all this repetition ought to sink in. And yet, sadly, in many cases, this repetition doesn't sink in. Children forsake the commandment of their father and they don't keep the teaching of their mother. Um, they fail to embrace their parents' teaching in their heart. They forget to bind them around their necks. Uh, as a result, they, they go and they live life without any direction. They have no guides to watch over them at night and they have no coaches to direct them during the day. The, the teaching of their parents is, is to lead them in, in the right way, but they, their reproof will keep them from the wrong way. But it, but it fails. And without listening, many children find themselves in trouble because the bad choice they make and they're facing the consequences of their bad choices. Not listening to the counsel of parents, not following after the wisdom of God's word. And so children, I would encourage you again afresh, listen to your parents, listen to God and follow after the ways of the Lord. It's for your good. In fact, we see in verse 24 of our, our subject, the key thrust of our text being introduced. We are introduced to the evil woman, the, the adulteress, if you will. <clears throat> Following after the ways of God will preserve you from the evil woman and from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. This is the whole purpose of this section. Solomon's warning his sons against the dangers of adultery, and we can apply it to all forms of sexual immorality. It's my message, right? Avoid it. That's what you say. It's going to preserve you, right? Follow the ways of God and avoid immorality. That's my first point, really. Obedience will protect you. And, and now we get to see that, that infidelity will destroy you. It's really the, the rest of our text this morning, talking about the destruction of infidelity. And, and this isn't pleasant. And yet, it's, it's the way that Solomon argues. And if, if Solomon argues that way, then we ought to argue that way of just thinking through the consequences of what adultery will lead you to or sexual immorality will, will lead you to. I, I just think of so many Proverbs have, have the end in view, right? The, the, the discipline that works and labors for the, the fruit of the end, right? The, the, the wisdom that, that says, I'm going to fear the Lord and walk in the difficult ways, knowing that in the end, it's always going to be better. And so likewise here, the argument is, in the end, adultery and immorality is so bad. Don't walk in that way. Solomon writes in verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a, a married woman hunts down a, a precious life. We see here words like capture and, and hunting down. The picture is that of a hunter. He has set a trap waiting for it to spring and it's no stretch of imagination here to compare the adulterous woman to a bear trap. A bear trap is this, this uh, spring-powered mouth, if you will. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a, a bear trap. If we had the uh, overhead, I could have shown you a picture of it. Well, it's, a, it's got a trigger in the middle, and these claws are like this. And the idea is you want the bear to step right in the middle. These claws are going to and grab 
the, the bear's leg, and so the bear can't get away. And as the bear tries to get away, it finds that a chain is attached to a tree, and he can't move the tree very well. He's just, he just, he just trapped there. And um, you don't put bait on the trap because you don't want the nose of the bear trap. You don't want to catch his head. You want to catch his foot. So you put, you put your food in the air or trap it, and so the, the bear walks under it, and snap gets down and gets caught and um, often when it's trapped, you'll suffer for hours trying desperately to get out of the trap. He'll claw at the trap, but his claws are incapable of releasing the trap. He'll try to pull away, and then he realizes he's attached to a tree, and eventually he'll be exhausted from all of his efforts and sit down and wait. Just wait for the hunter to come as he endures the excruciating pain in his leg, perhaps even broken his leg. And then when the hunter comes, you know what the hunter does, right? Just shoots him. And because of the suffering of the bear, many think bear traps are unethical. But the picture of the bear traps, what happens in adultery, right? The beauty of the woman captures the man and, and there's pretty eyelashes. Right? It's the, the eyelashes, which are, are like, like this, right? A little bit like, like this. That's why I talked about the bear trap. And the eyelashes come and they, they attract. And <clears throat> there's the, the beauty there. And then eventually, you're trapped, you're caught, until the day you're destroyed. I just think about my seminary professor. I can't help, but she sinned with it. he sinned with these teenage girls, probably suffering for years. Seventeen years ago, all this in the back of his mind, just waiting for them to speak, hoping that they didn't. And this week they spoke. And my professor's facing the hunter right now, trapped like a bear. His life is destroyed. Well, he destroyed it 17 years ago, but now it's coming to full fruition as a spiritual leader. And, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to fall into sin like that before one comes to Christ, before one's a spiritual leader, but to be a spiritual leader and do that and then to hush it up with the church, it's coming to roost. He may never preach again. At this point, also, I want to point out my professor. The girls didn't pursue him. He pursued them. And so you can, you can, you can switch this, too. And, and it's, it's, it's both ways. So Solomon's writing to his sons to avoid the evil women. I, I just say this admonition also goes to girls and daughters. Avoid the evil men who simply want to use you for their own pleasures and avoid them at all costs. Because when one is unfaithful, destruction is inevitable. Verse 27 and 28 and 29, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will be punished. Now, these words draw us to the circus, if you will. When entertainers are performing death-defying stunts, like, like lighting this, this stick, fire, and then they go, right? And they're eating the fire. Or, or, or they're walking on the coals and like, whoa, are they okay? And, and, and we're amazed because these things are dangerous. And if we would try them, we'd get burned. If we tried to walk across the, the coals, our feet would be scorched. And yet it's only the experts who've learned the tricks of the trade who can go unsinged. But we, common folk untrained, would get burned as we take coals into our chest. And our feet would be scorched as we walk on the hot coals. Or to use the verse, words of verse 29, we will be 
punished. And that's Solomon's argument to his son. Stay away from the adulterer because you can destroy your life. You're going to be punished. But beyond that, it just gets, it just gets worse. Now, I hold in my hand a, a book written by Randy Alcorn. He's a former pastor in Washington, president of um, Eternal Perspectives Ministry. And, and the book is entitled The Purity Principles. God's Safeguard for Life's Dangerous Trials. It's a book about purity. It's a book about sexual purity. You guys know this book? Any of you guys? Some of you do? I saw you know this book. Because this is your book. <laughs> uh, Grandpa gave it to him. December 13th, 2008. When you were... I know math isn't your strong suit, but <laughs> you, were, you were 13 years old. On your 13th birthday, he gave you this book, Dear Asar, Happy Birthday, Grandpa. And um, <clears throat> towards the end of the book, Alcorn just tells a story um, of the time when he and a fellow pastor developed a list of consequences that would result from their immorality. And uh, he, he writes, he says, The lists were devastating and they spoke to us more powerfully than any sermon. And uh, I know he's advocated before. You write out a list for yourself just to see the devastation that will be caused by being unfaithful in your marriage. That's what wisdom is. It looks, it looks beyond and looks beyond today. It says, periodically, especially when traveling, I'd reread this list until I memorized it. It cut like a knife through fog of rationalization. It, it filled me with a healthy fear. And then what he does is he shares an edited version of our combined list. He he and his pastor friend, uh, an edited version of that. He said, what would my adultery do? And this is less than half, he says. But here, listen to what he says about what his adultery would do. He said, first of all, my adultery would drag in mud the reputation of my Lord. And when Christian leaders fall, it drags in mud the reputation of Jesus. Oh, these people say they follow Jesus, but what are they doing going off to Las Vegas? Right? What are they doing making advances? I thought they were different. I mean, it's one thing for a secular person to do that, like our president, but it's another thing for a professing Christian to follow after the Lord who's saying, I am, I'm following his standards. I'm following the ways of Christ and then to walk in his ways. That's dragging in mud the reputation of my Lord. Second, make me have to look into his face one day and tell him why I did it. Cause untold hurt to Nancy, my loyal wife and best friend. Forfeit Nancy's respect and trust. Permanently injure my credibility with my beloved daughters, Karina and Angie. Bring shame to my family. Inflict hurt on my church and friends especially those I've led to Christ and discipled. He's got names of people there that he wrote down. Bring an intrievable loss of years of witnessing to relatives and friends. Bring pleasure to Satan, God's enemy. Possibly give me a sexually transmitted disease, posing a risk to Nancy. Lose my self-respect, discredit my name, and invoke lifelong embarrassment upon myself. There's only half of the the items of his original list, but I I hope that you see just the the whole point. 
of how devastating it would be because it doesn't only hit you, it hits others. And I read an article even recently that he wrote um, after this, and he said, now I've got grandchildren, and uh, I've got sons-in-laws. And, and so the implication upon his family is even greater. And so thus it's important for him to walk rightly. Solomon just said, think of the consequences And then he said this. Here's how he concludes. He says, If we would rehearse in advance the devastating consequences of immorality, we'd be far less prone to commit it. Because our sin always wraps us up just right here in the the here and now rather than, than in the beyond. I mean, it says in verse 32 that he who commits adultery lacks sense. And, and I'll never remember the pastor friend that I had who was, was an elder of a church one time and, and the pastor of the church had committed adultery and this pastor was a phenomenal teacher and a phenomenal leader. And, um, you know, which, which, which this week has really made me thankful that I'm, I'm not able to, like, lead thousands of people around me where I can have anyone follow after me. Like, I, I know my own leadership that by God's grace then... The, not as powerful as many of these men are who suck people away, but this, this man was super powerful, a, a great teacher, a, a great preacher, a charismatic guy, preached against divorce, preached against adultery, preached against immorality, and uh, until it happened with a church secretary. And uh, started with a hug, then went to kiss, and went on to other things and other things and other things. And uh, as this elder friend of mine was was trying to counsel this pastor, he said, he, he's insane. He just went insane. He just went crazy. Everything that he had professed in his sanity, he was insane. He, he didn't speak the right way. And that's why he lacked sense. And, and my hope for all of us is that we would have sense today and that we would keep our wits about us to understand the devastation of what being unfaithful would, would bring. And, and Randy Alcorn also writes in this article, uh, Similar to this, he says, I vividly remember meeting a man who had been a leader in a Christian organization until he committed immorality. And I asked him, what, what could have been done to prevent this? And he paused only for a moment and said with haunting pain and precision, if only I had known, if only I had really known and really thought through and weighed what it would cost me and my family and my Lord, I honestly believe I, I never would have done it. So now this morning, I, I sympathize with some of you who've made such choices. Maybe you're experiencing the consequences. I, I sympathize with you with that. And, and, and for you, you need grace, and that's coming. All right, but let's finish the chapter first, and then we'll, we'll finish up with the load of grace, and we'll finish up with the, the Lord's Supper. But we've got to get through several more verses here. But beginning in verse 30, he just continues to press the point home. He compares adultery with theft. So people do not despise a thief when he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. And this is the reality of theft. If you steal and you're caught, you'll pay the consequences. And the consequences Solomon talks here is, is sevenfold, which the law doesn't really require that. The, the law requires uh, fivefold for an oxen and fourfold for a sheep, but when you take everything else into account, even a lot, sevenfold of whatever you stole needs to be given back. But when it comes to adultery, the consequences are even more. It says in verse 34 that the jealousy makes a man furious. 
And he'll not spare when he takes revenge. He'll accept no compensation and he refuse, though you multiply gifts. And, and here the idea is, right, you're trying to make it back. You're trying to make financial payment back. You're trying to make confession. You're trying to make repentance. And the husband or the wife who was wronged, or the husband in this case, will never accept it. Will continue to pursue, continue to go after you, and it will be hard. Though you multiply your gifts, it's not gonna. It's not gonna satisfy you. There's no price that can be paid to right your wrong. The the pain endures for a lifetime. I think about these these teenage girls. The pain, I believe, is still real in their hearts. Seventeen years later, and taking this trusted spiritual leader, and he just mistreated them. And almost seemingly, like nothing can make it right. Apart from the grace of God. But there's a destruction that comes. Verse 32 and 33. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He'll get wounds and dishonor. And disgrace will not be wiped away. He tried to wipe away. Sexual sin doesn't come. It doesn't go away. It's like the permanent stain which, which cannot quite be cleansed. It's like the, the blood of Hamlet's hand after he'd killed Duncan. Do you remember that scene in Hamlet? Maybe you don't. But his hand is so bloody because he just stabbed Duncan to death. And, and he's standing there and he said, Will all the water in the ocean wash this blood from my hands? Just trying to wash it clean. He says, not. He said, he said, no, instead my hands will stain the seas scarlet. Turning the green waters red. In other words, he's so guilty. It's gonna, he just can't wash it away. But now we turn. Now, now we find some grace. You ready for grace today? <laughs> Let's get some grace. You got it. Let's get some grace. Because your sin can be forgiven in Jesus. That's, that's just the message. Sin can be forgiven in Jesus. Isaiah one eighteen. Though your sins are like scarlet, that deep red blood of Hamlet's hand, though your skins, sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And this morning we face the sar- scarlet stains of, of sin and their awful consequences. But, but they can be cleaned up. And in fact, the, the cleanness shines brighter when the filth was darker. And it's when you understand the devastation that, that, that sin brings, that, that how God's grace shines brighter and brighter and brighter. It comes rich and free to all who believe. And forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. It comes through confession, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I had a chance to speak with someone this week. It was just down and out. It just felt like they, they reached, this man reached the bottom. And I said, it's a good place to be because when you reach the bottom, there's no place to, to go except plead to God and His mercy and His grace. As Troy spoke about last week, my, my message to this man was at the bottom was not, well, you just try harder. You just do better. It's not my message, not the message to him. My message was confess your sins and they can be cleansed. And I read with him 1 John 1, 9. And, and when John says all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness means just that. He can cleanse us. Think about Jesus. He forgave the thief on the cross who was dying for his sins because he had stolen. Jesus forgave Zacchaeus 
the chief tax collector, who had wronged many and become rich as a result. Jesus forgave Peter, who denied him three times before the cock crowed that night. He reinstituted him, reestablished him in ministry. He said, go and feed my sheep, go and feed my lambs, right? Go and be a pastor and shepherd people and be an evangelist and open the door, the gospel to the Gentiles. And Jesus forgave, as we'll turn to at the end, the woman caught in adultery. The very sin we're talking about here, sins that Jesus forgave. Jesus forgives sexual sin. Those in Corinth were engaged in all sorts of sexual sins. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, they were all engaged in all of that. And he said, such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. And so the church was filled with with former sinners who were changed and sanctified and washed, and no forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. And there's a hope to those who've fallen into adultery, and a hope to those who've fallen into sexual sin. It's found in Jesus. Colossians 2, you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When God makes us alive, he forgives all of our transgressions. And he wipes them out and he makes them clean. See, when Jesus died for our sins, he died for all of our sins, including adultery. Now, Again, that doesn't mean that you should say, oh, since forgiveness is there, I can just do what I want. Free from the law, happy condition, sin as I please, and there'll still be remission. That's what the antinomian says. I can just sin as I want. That's that's not not what it is. The one who presumes upon God's grace doesn't understand God's grace. As Paul said in Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Ought we continue in sin that grace might abound? Right? If we sin and God forgives us, His grace abounds. And if we sin more, His grace superbounds. Should we just sin more so that God's grace superbounds? Paul says, no, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? God's grace comes to us by faith. It transforms us. It wipes away our former sin. It gives us a new nature. It changes us. It makes us alive and gives us grace to walk in the newness of the future. Now, there are consequences for sin. Um, it's what we're seeing here in Proverbs 6. It may cost you life. With David, it, it cost him really his kingdom. His sin with Bathsheba was really the, the linchpin, the, 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 the corner, the, the, the place that turned that then set his kingdom on a downfall. And, and many, for those in, in ministry, it, it means perhaps destruction of ministry. One's ministry will never be restored after that. I want to read for you, it's called this, it's called An Open Letter of Confession from Artaxerdia. And I'm not sure if any of you know who Artaxerdia is. Avon does? Okay, just some unknown name. I will tell you that he is one of the greatest preachers that I have ever heard. You put John MacArthur, John Piper in that category, I would put him in that category phenomenal. And, and I remember he was in Rockford some 25 years ago and Yvonne and I were living in DeKalb. We heard about it and uh, we drove up and you remember he was preaching? <laughs> you don't remember. I remember 
He was preaching right here at this very spot, right, right here on the planet. He was preaching. This is a former church, Grace Reformed Baptist Church. He was preaching, and I was sitting right, right there where you are, Chad. I was in that, well, the pew is gone. But <laughs> I, was, I was right there listening to Art Azurdia, and he was preaching on John 17 of the high priestly prayer of Jesus for his disciples. And, and to this day, I, I remember some of the things he said, especially the, the things from John 17 about God's electing grace, how God gave them these disciples. And his they were, and his they kept, and he kept for himself because God had given to them. I remember one Sunday when Yvonne and I were on vacation in California. Um, we do every year, and, and one year we said, hmm, well, let, let, let's go to his church, Christ Community Church in Fairfield, California. Remember that, yes? And so we, we drove up an hour to his church to, to hear him preach. Unfortunately, he wasn't preaching that Sunday. Uh, another man was who was in a network of churches out, out there. Um, but even I have the bulletin from that Sunday from uh, Christ Community Church, August 31st, 1997. That's crazy, 22 years ago. Um, but we had a great time in his church, was received well, was welcomed, it was a fabulous time. Sadly, he fell into adultery, and I, I want to read his open confession of a letter because he was so articulate and so crystal clear. It's the best, clearest letter of repentance I've ever, I've ever read it presents the devastating results of adultery, but puts right alongside that the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And unlike many confessions of religious leaders who have fallen into their sin, he didn't write as a means to get back into the ministry. As, you read, as I'll read even his letter, he knew full well that his days of preaching were done because he'd been disqualified. How refreshing that is. He's not trying to vie back into it. I have no idea what he's doing here, but here's his letter. And, and listen for the devastation that it, that, and the pain that's brought, but yet also in the same time the hope that he's finding in Jesus in the midst of it. July 27th, 2018, a year and a half ago. This is a sad letter to read. To my wife and family members and elders of the congregation at Trinity Church, the faculty of Western Seminary, and friends and colleagues both near and abroad, Someone very wise once said, quote, pastors must be the chief repenters in a congregation of repenters. It's important that this proves to be the case now, not because I have, haven't yet repented, but because my sin is of such a nature that I need to express my repentance to you. Several years ago, prior to the inception of Trinity Church, I strayed from my wedding vows, breaking the covenantal bond I made to my dear wife 36 years ago. Yet he continued ministry more recently said, I again violated my marriage covenant. In both instances, I engaged in adulterous relationships that were nothing less than acts of defiance to the will of my God and Father, as well as expressions of profound ingratitude for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that I prize so dearly. I confess this sin and take full responsibility for it. There are no justifications, no excuses or rationalizations for my behavior. I, in acts of idolatry, chose sin over God. I am profoundly ashamed at the enormity of my rebellion as well as the hypocrisy of exercising ministry while cloaking my sin in the shadows. 
I am broken by the magnitude of my offenses to God, the devastation I have inflicted upon my wife, the the grief brought to bear upon my children, and the disappointment I have produced among the people with whom I have been privileged to share ministry. Though it is entirely undeserved, I humbly ask you to forgive me for my betrayal of your trust and friendship. With each passing day, the fresh awareness of this betrayal breaks my heart in greater and deeper ways leaving me with nothing but a hope in the accomplishments of the cross to which I desperately cling. Despite the profound grief and shame, I am deeply thankful to my Heavenly Father for graciously exposing this sin and forcing me to turn from it. The promise that He chastises those He loves so that His children might share in His holiness gives me hope and comfort. My present and painful circumstances have become to both my wife and me the gracious verifications of God's fatherhood and my spiritual paternity. Because of my sin, I have disqualified myself from the office of elder. Therefore, I have no desire to pursue ministry of any kind. My focus is entirely directed at making right the very thing I have ignored for too long, the well-being of our marriage. This long-term process has already commenced in meetings with experienced counselors and under their supervision will be extended to include a team of qualified people who will also contribute to the reestablishment and strengthening of our relationship. This reprioritized commitment will require us to relocate in large part in response to my wife's desires and needs and also to make ourselves available to care fully for my wife's elderly parents. Consequently, she and I now resign our membership at Trinity Church, freeing the elders to give their entire attention to carefully shepherding the congregation through this season of challenge. Likewise, we are choosing to relinquish the remaining balance of the severance package so kindly extended to us by the elders so as to free Trinity Church from the burden of caring for our financial responsibilities. I'm certain that my sin has brought about waves of divergent emotions in many of you, hurt, confession, sorrow, anger. All of these are appropriate responses to my failures that your Heavenly Father understands. Moment by moment, I feel the heavy weight of inflicting them upon you. If, however, I may appeal to your mercy in Jesus Christ, dear friends, allow me to ask four things of you. First, Please direct your anger and frustration at me while extending love and support to my children who have responded to my repentance and confession with kindness and compassion, and especially to my wife who has revealed the depths of the gospel's influence in her life by extending undeserved grace and forgiveness to me. She continues to display the likeness of her heavenly Father in real and palpable expressions that overwhelm me with tearful humility and contrition. Though I have failed her egregiously, I love her deeply and desperately. With God's help, our family will survive this season and eventually thrive for God's glory. Second, pray for the elders of Trinity Church. I've wounded these brothers deeply, and now a great and unexpected responsibility rests upon their shoulders, owing to the gospel and to the restorative power of the Holy Spirit. However, they can lead Trinity Church into stronger and more vibrant congregational life than will bear, that will bear a unique and powerful testimony to the gospel and what it can accomplish. Third, Please pray for the congregation of Trinity Church. This is an extraordinary gathering of diverse people who are consumed with the priorities of worshiping the triune God and declaring the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. My wife and I have been the constant recipients of her great love, support, and generosity. Beyond all compare these eight years at Trinity. Beyond all compare, these eight years at Trinity have been our most joyous days in 36 years of ministry. Fourth. And this is where we really need to focus this morning as we think about grace. Never doubt the gospel and our great Savior, Jesus Christ. I have failed you profoundly, my dear friends, and I do plead for your forgiveness. I love you 
albeit with a love that has been marred by great failure. But the gospel of Jesus Christ will never fail you. The, the fact is, its greatest glory proves most obvious in the context of sin and failure. In this case, my own great sin and failure. We, in our brokenness and humiliation, now need your prayers. God bless you, Art Azurdia. Powerful letter of repentance. But you see those two things there? Right? The destruction that adultery has brought upon his family and his marriage and his church. And yet the promises of the gospel that, that are there that, that, that he knows that he has forfeited much and harmed many. But he knows and walks in the grace of God that's in Jesus Christ. So I want to close and transition to the Lord's Supper by looking at the story of the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. I know there are many manuscripts that don't have this story, but the story is certainly consistent with Jesus. And so we just read it this morning and hope to find help here, and especially if there are any of you here who have a past sexual sin that continues to haunt you or has haunted you. Just even picture yourself as this woman. Chapter 8. Beginning 7.53, they each went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. It's in the very act. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And as they knocked on the door, they went in, saw the man and the woman there, and grabbed the woman. Brought her before Jesus. Tried to trap him in some way, saying, Now in the law of Moses commanded to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, <clears throat> This humble response, right? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, the gentle answer turns away wrath. These guys were angry at him, and he just, he just sat down like Asians maybe. You know, they sit there like this. Like, we asked him a question. Did he hear? What's going on? And as they continued to ask him, right, pounding on him, pounding on him, what, what about this? What about her? What about her? What about her? Jesus stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he, he bent down on the ground and started writing again. Just, just, he pictured Jesus. Just amazing. And he's down there, and, and this is what happened. It, it, when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones. And then Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him, which ought to, ought to teach you a few things. It's the, the older ones who've been through some things realize that, <clears throat> you know what, they're not faultless. But there is this, this, this issue in young people who are, are out and fighting and pointing all about these discernment blogs, these people pointing out all the sin to everybody else. I, did, I say this, church family, 1 Corinthians 10 Twelve, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. There are many out there pointing fingers. The truth be known, 
they're pointing fingers because they want to direct the attention abroad rather than to themselves. Even think of historical examples of that. The loudest voices accusing President Clinton in his days of impeachment were involved in the very acts themselves. So the oldest one went away and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So the sense is that Jesus is squatting down here, right? They're all gone. He's not even looking. And then she comes up, towers over him. And so Jesus stood up and said to him, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. Isn't that just repentance? Repentance is just, just go and sin no more. Know that you've been given grace. And the grace there is not to, okay, well, we'll go back. Go back to bed. It's not that. It's to go and walk a new life. And that's always the message. But forgiveness is there. There's opportunity for, for transformation. That Jesus is our only hope. He is, as it says there in that next verse, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world Whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the path to God. It's through forgiveness that he offers to God. And he offers that simply by confessing our sin and, and turning to him and realizing that he brings, he brings forgiveness and restoration and the power to walk in newness of life. Which is a really appropriate time for us this morning to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Just especially as we think about our sin and we think about our forgiveness and we think about the cross of Jesus Christ that, that forgives freely. That we can walk out right, of this place knowing that we are, are forgiven because of the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And whatever's in the past, we know that Jesus has dealt with that. Now, there might be some repercussions of that. People bring into marriage. People bring into broken relationships, and that's a devastation of sin. We ought to hate that. If anything, this, this passage in Proverbs chapter 6 ought to teach us of the devastation of sin, just not, not only the sin of adultery, but all sin. It damages. But what Jesus has done is forgiveness and, and makes new. So let, let's bow our heads and just want to lead you in a time of examination and confession. As soon as I, I shared with that man this week about First John 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just even think of the, just the author forgive, offer of forgiveness. It's there. That's not, not due to things that we do. It's not due because of religious works that we work. It's not due because of prayers that we pray or, or any tit for tat. It's all through Jesus Christ. I encourage you now even to, to look to Jesus, who alone is your hope, and in all of your sin, whether it's sexual sin or whether it's um, sin of the mouth or whether it's uh, sin of the mind or whether it's conflicts, 
rising, the deeds of the flesh, whatever rises to your mind. I just encourage you now, if you are a child of God and if you are trusting in Him, just confess your sins to Christ and realize that He is He's the one who offers forgiveness. And the Lord's Supper is really a reminder for us of, um, of the forgiveness that's in Jesus. We take the bread and drink the cup not because we... Um, we're trying to gain something from Him. It's a celebration to really remember Him and that the, the cross is where all of our sins were paid for. And so, if you're trusting in Jesus today, though your sins be as red as scarlet, as it says, you can celebrate the suffer if you just confess that to the Lord. If you're not a Christian today and, and are living in rebellion against the Lord and not walking with Him, then... Um, then I just encourage you, don't take the Lord's Supper this morning because he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let us who know Christ eat the bread and drink the cup for Jesus says that in order to have eternal life, you need to eat of me and drink of me. Um, Not necessarily this cup, but just we need to have all that there is of Jesus. And may these elements remind us of the great forgiving grace that there is in the cross of Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.